0: Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center. It's Cofield and Company. All right,
1: here we go on a Wednesday. NCAA tournament uh, underway. Got more playing games tonight. We'll react to the Wyoming game in just a little bit. But uh, big night, Adam Candy, or big day. I'm losing track of what time it is with uh, the NFL stuff, the tampering the last couple days with all those announcements and people griping that the Raiders hadn't done anything. Well, they started to launch into action today, and I think uh, what they're doing is pretty clear. We'll we'll give our opinion of what is clear, but what do you think? Chandler Jones, big name free agent, uh, not a cornerback as uh, so many people thought was going to be the
2: first big splash for the Raiders, but Jones stolen away from the Cardinals well they did get their cornerback uh it might not be at the level that anybody thought it was going to be at least yet but yeah chandler jones is about as big of a fish as you can catch in free agency in 2022 his track record as a pass rusher in the nfl is impeccable over the course of a decade a guy who has put up 10 or more sacks basically for every year he's been in the league and you tear you pair him up with max crosby on the two edges and of course the raiders are going to be a pass rush monster like just about everyone else in the AFC West this year. So just on its face, if we take it right there for what it is, then, yeah, Chandler Jones is is a huge upgrade for the Raiders over even the production they got from Yannick Ngakwe, and then, of course, they move out Ngakwe and get Rocky Asin from the Indianapolis Colts. I love the way management has
1: come out of the gates here. First of all, Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels talk to no one. There are no leaks as there have been in the past, it seems like from a media standpoint, only Jordan Schultz has any clue of what the hell is going on. I like that because you know who else is like that, Adam Candy? The Patriots. And this is what I was expecting was Patriots light in terms of approach. Now, Chandler Jones is a big prize, but I've been telling people the last couple days on the show that I don't think the Raiders are going to make a gigantic splash in the cornerback market and spend 13 to you know $20 million on a cornerback. It's not really the Patriot way to pay big money. They paid big money to Gilmore, but they got out from under that pretty quickly. But more importantly, everything with the Patriots is pretty buttoned up. You have no idea where the hell they're going, what they're doing, and most people have been completely lost on what the Raiders' plan is here. So there's a couple things. Clearly, they wanted to build up the defensive line because they've added, you know, big-name defensive linemen. They also got uh, Nichols from the Bears. They had signed a defensive tackle about 10 days ago. They wanted to have that as mission number one to not only add but also clean up the line because the other thing that happened today, and I know you're down with this, the critique of the Gruden-Mayock transactions over the years. Holy crap. This organization has had to get out from under terrible contracts. Now I'm blanking. What was the deal last week where they had to eat a bunch of money? Oh, it was uh, Corey Littleton, right? So they ate a bunch of money on that one. That was a Mayock, Gruden doozy. And then today, and let's just say it, Carl Nassib was a terrible signing. He was. I mean, there were times he, he didn't play. He was inactive. He signed for three years and $24 million. And, and today they bit the bullet. They're like, we we can't do this anymore. At some point, we've got to admit this ain't working and he's got to go. So Carl Nassib is gone.
2: Carl Nassib's usage was never right with this team. In fact, the first part of his first season with the Raiders, he was a productive player. Now you don't have a lot of evidence beyond that to suggest you were going to get production out of Carl Nassib moving forward. But as you mentioned, uh, and we'll give Josh Dubell credit for this, the 10 highest priced signings of the Gruden era are all gone. And none of them lasted even three years with the Raiders so that is without question a failure of the highest order but here we are with the Patriots coming in and saying you know what we're not going to live with this we're not just going to suck it up and deal with it we're going to move on from it we're going to we're going to cut ties and we're going to move on from it now I agree with that part of it I don't know that I agree with how they're dealing with it at the moment but you know the good part of this whole discussion Steve is finding out that all along you really did like the Patriots.
0: It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider, Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield and company. Adam Candy's with us.
1: Cofield Battleborn broadcast studios. Justin Watkins is here. Candy. I'm going to apologize to you right out of the gates. Uh, Not that you oversee my Twitter account, but I did just retweet another story from the RJ about this stupid A stuff that the A's put another bid down on some property here in Las Vegas. And I banned baseball from the show until they came back. And I, I have been so triggered the last couple of days with watching a league lock out the players in an effort to fix things. I thought it was all about fixing competitive balance so the teams at the bottom can compete. And immediately, the A's and the Reds come out, and they're like, here you go, we're going to sell everyone off. And then the A's, the A's, who, frankly, are 99% in with a deal in Oakland, and they seem to have, if you believe the stories, the possibility of coming here. They're selling off. And then what I retweeted was, again, Another story from the RJ. I think you believe a lot of these stories are just clickbait, but that there's a bid on another piece of land, and like I just I I can't wrap my head around how ridiculous baseball is and how ridiculous the A's are, and that we have to be part of this. I don't want to be part of this.
2: We shouldn't have to be part of this. We shouldn't, except that there are some people in the local media that the A's know that they can get to print whatever they want to print. And here we go again, right? Here we go again. Oh, they bid on another site. Fantastic. Great. What difference does it make? They got four others. It doesn't make any difference at all. But you know what? Let's get back to the real point here, which is Major League Baseball. Um, Steve, there's one thing you're not considering, and it's that these are small markets that we're talking about here, right? You're not considering the fact that we're talking about Cincinnati and the Bay Area, right? Small markets where teams just can't compete. They cannot compete. The Golden State Warriors cannot compete. The Cincinnati Bengals cannot compete. Do you understand that these are difficult markets to succeed in? You can't win a championship. You can't go to the Super Bowl in these tiny little markets that don't have anyone to support you, and especially when you're in a sport with no salary cap where you can spend whatever you want. So how are you supposed to survive in the Bay Area or in Cincinnati, Ohio? Revenue sharing? Come on, man just not enough just yeah, not, not enough.
1: enough come on uh, candy has uh, now poked a hole through his cheek with his tongue all right justin Watkins is here our espn las vegas legal insider let's go back to the beginning of all this and the story here is not necessarily baseball and their crap system and the inability to force the owners at the bottom to try it starts with paying public money for stadiums all right? and we have a great example of it we paid $750 million, probably going to be $1.25 billion after we fixed the roads for our stadium. That was our portion of it. It's the highest amount ever of public money. Buffalo is now going to blow us away. Blow us away. You are a public servant. I know you have thoughts on this. We can get into you know assessing the value of Allegiant Stadium so far, but what do you think when you hear Buffalo is going to pitch in more than a, a billion dollars for a stadium?
3: I mean, the first thing I – looked at and thought about when I saw that is I hope they're not using Vegas and Allegiant stadium as their (laughs) evidence for the return on investment because a, you know, $2 billion stadium in Buffalo is not going to get the same sort of revenue that a $2 billion stadium gets in Las Vegas or $4 billion stadium gets in LA. So, I mean, the the projections that were presented to the Nevada Legislature here were unique. They were noted as being unique, and they said there is no precedent whatsoever for a stadium and public funding of a stadium in a tourist site like Las Vegas. Um, you know, we can make some some arguments about Miami and how how that would work, but uh, in any case, they made their projections in a in a vacuum, and I have to say I'm pleased with the events are getting but i haven't seen any numbers to say that the return on investment is there i'm sure there are some numbers that uh the state has that that would help us make that assessment but do i think we're anywhere near 750 million back even in like that very broad economic developed you know economic engine that is created no um do, will we get there in the, by the end of the 30 years probably probably you know we get a couple super bowls um you know we get college football national championship we get a couple bowl game well every year a bowl game right yeah we'll probably we'll probably get somewhere uh close to there but but buffalo getting back a billion
2: <laughs> sure it's totally absurd. I don't
3: know where they're going to get where that's going to happen it's
1: totally absurd and let's uh, clarify so you are in the assembly they made sure to rush the vote through on the 750 before you guys got in there. That's right. They had it all set up with a lot of the politicians who were in there to make sure they got their yes vote. The next crew that came in may have voted it down, but they shoehorned that thing in to make sure they got their money.
3: Yeah, they ordered a special session in October of an election year (laughs) in which November was the election date. It was just before early voting had started. Um, And the only item on the agenda was this bill for stadium uh, support. And uh, if memory serves me right, it was a three day session. Um, so
1: and and you are correct on that because we did have local politicians on who admitted on air upon being pressed about details in s b one that they hadn't read it. Impossible. We were, we were flabbergasted on the air. We're like, you didn't read it, right? But you gave a vote a yes vote of seven hundred and fifty million dollars again. We will judge this by a number standpoint. I think, you know, without the numbers, it's been beneficial. I still believe we could have gotten a better deal. It could have been debated. Uh, maybe a little better deal for UNLV as well, but all stuff that have been hashed out. But the bottom line is, with public money going to stadiums, it's a shaky, sometimes shady deal. Mm-hmm. And now, Candy, you just read the second richest team in baseball, because the Dodgers are the richest. The second richest team in baseball, the Yankees and their owner, are now pissing and moaning about having to pay you know, their portion of their brand new stadium because
2: times were rough during COVID. Really? Five and a quarter billion dollars. That's what the New York Yankees are worth, Steve. They're worth five and a quarter billion dollars. It is roughly one and three quarter billion more than the next most valuable franchise, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And head quant and also owner, Cal Steinbrenner, gave his annual press conference today where he was saying that part of the reason the Yankees are not out there spending is that times were tough during covid Oh, man, times were tough for the second most valuable franchise in professional sports. Spare me, spare me the discussion of why you had to re-sign Anthony Rizzo and Isaiah Kainofalefa and Josh Donaldson. Instead of going after one of the most historic shortstop and first base free agency classes, In history, I never thought I would be the one saying that I wanted the Yankees out of Steinbrenner hands entirely, and yet here we are. Justin,
1: we also have a real interesting deal in New York. So, I mean, I'll admit the NBA for us is on the back burner. Football is 10 and a half months a year. We're getting to the NBA here, and now, you know, if you haven't been paying attention, Kyrie Irving is not playing home games. There's a whole Vax deal in the state of New York, but specifically in New York City. He can't play at his venue, so he's missed home games. And now the Yankees and Mets are coming onto the radar, and Aaron Judge was asked about his VAC status yesterday, and he pulled another one of these, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So right now, what the Yankees are facing and the Mets, I don't know who's unvaccinated on the Mets, is the potential of Aaron Judge missing 90 of 162 games because he can't play at Yankee Stadium, and he can't play in Canada where there there is no – you know, that's a zero-tolerance deal. If you're not vaccinated as an MLB player, you ain't playing in Canada. I, I can't, like, I am uncomfortable in, in some ways with the, hey, you got to be vaxxed, big government coming in. But the problem for New York City is they just fired 1,500 employees because they weren't vaxxed. There ain't going to be some free pass for Aaron Judge and some Mets.
3: Right. Yeah, you know, it's just frustrating that they can't answer the question, right? Right. If you're unvaccinated, just say you're unvaccinated, right? They'll like play this game of back and forth, and oh, we'll see what happens when. Um, and just real quick to go back to the prior story on on the stadium and financing. Uh, my very good friend, Assembly former Assemblyman Derek uh, Armstrong, who was in the legislature at that time and helped um, usher the bill through, had some counterpoints for us. Just to say that the 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 study on the economic impact was an 18-month-long study that, um, you know, you can't make people read the bills. They didn't feel like the, the the process was rushed. I disagree that I think the legislative process was rushed, and maybe for some other people, some legislators were part of the 18-month process, but not 63. Um, there, are, there are reasonable minds could differ about that process of the stadium vote, and he also uh, Correctly pointed out the convention center funding was part of that bill. So it wasn't only, it wasn't only it stadium. Was? Huh. Yep. So I just want to give the, the, the reasonable counterpoints and I have a lot of respect for assemblyman Armstrong. So uh, I wanted to present his arguments as he's texting me. Uh, but I will say this on the, on the point of, of like these players and being coy about their vaccination status. I mean, maybe that's one thing with the media, but I, I, I hope the team's, I hope the teams have something figured out and they're, they're, they've got a plan of attack and the plan of attack isn't, ah, we think all these requirements are going to drop. Not in New York, they're not. Not in New York. I mean, Kyrie, it's not dropping. No. The whole season now. Yeah. They're not. he
1: The mayor said it. He's screwed. Yeah. He is screwed. You can't fire freaking city employees and then two months later go, you know what, we're lifting it. Aaron Judge is good. Can't. Right. I agree. It's absurd. By the way, we should throw in this point. Candy, we got breaking news about a hometown hero in baseball.
2: Well, the Colorado Rockies are using their competitive balance money. Uh, seven years, one hundred eighty-two million dollars for Chris Bryant, Bonanza High Zone, who stays in right. the General Western Region. Now, why why is that important, Candy? Well, it's important for a number of reasons. First of all, uh, Chris Bryant is getting the money from a franchise that decided its own icon Nolan Arenado wasn't going to get the money, uh, and also the Colorado Rockies are spending some of the money that they got from this new CBA as opposed yep. to a team like the Reds. And the owner, Dick Monford, was a hawk in this whole thing, and he was
1: complaining that they couldn't be competitive, which, again, do we need to talk about Denver's market size? And come on. So that's been a weak excuse. But you know what? At least he put his money where his mouth has been. At least he's going to spend the money. Yeah. By the way, I have to throw in. People don't do their research. We are talking about I think the last numbers we had out were 2019, so pre-COVID, right? Pre-COVID baseball rev shared hundred and one million dollars per team and TV was eighty three million dollars that is before the tax for the luxury taxes added in right out of the gates now th- these years are gonna be a little bit down mm-hmm. but those teams are getting a hundred and eighty three million dollars in baseball rev share money and some of them are fielding payrolls of 50 and 60 million dollars and can't compete
3: yeah. What? Yeah. And and then, you know, the what, what I hate is then their market gets critiqued for fans not showing up to a place that's just getting money for being empty. I mean, they're making one hundred million dollars for not doing anything. So why should the fans support a team like that? I mean, we could get into what's happened with the Golden Knights and they're falling apart. But man, Foley's trying to win. <laughs> I'll give him that. He's doing everything he can, monetarily, financially, everything else, to try to win. It's not gonna probably not gonna work out this season. But man, I love being a fan of an owner like that.
1: That's the segue we needed. We're gonna get to the knights here in about four minutes. Reminder: We've got our free bracket contest up on LBSportsNetwork.com. dot com. You've got a grand prize. Worth upwards of fifteen hundred dollars. You got a staycation in there from Sahara. You've got free meals for a year provided by iHeart uh, iHeart Mac and Cheese. Two tickets to a Golden Knights game and a VGK signed jersey. That's a VGK player signed jersey plus cash is thrown in. It's all brought to you by the Sahara iHeart Mac and Cheese and Finley Honda. How do you get in the March Mania Bracket Challenge? LVSportsNetwork.com. It's LVSportsNetwork.com and most important. It's free, even more important than that. Adam Candy is in, Ari is in, Willie is in, Cofield's in. Maybe we'll get Justin in there so you get to compete against us as well.
0: Call Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000 with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider, Justin Watkins, Justin Watkins. to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Company. Um uh,
1: Probably not. Candy, did you bet either one of the games uh, last night? Well, I, actually, there were multiple games. There was nit. Did you bet anything?
2: Uh, no. That that that, uh, that wasn't interesting. No. No. I, no. Not at hmm. all. Not at all.
1: Uh, I bet. They, uh, I bet Utah State in game. To cover nine and a half, they lost by 11. And I bet Wyoming, with about six minutes left, plus seven and a half, they lost by eight. So, yeah, It happens. It happens. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I am back on the horse tonight. I'll give you my bet a little later on. What's the problem? I love it.
3: it? I love it. The end game is the way to go.
1: I love the end game. Well, you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to get a middle... In the Indiana-Wyoming game, and I could not get bets in because things were happening so quickly. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to get Indiana got down to one and a half. I got rejected like 15 times, and then Wyoming got up to plus nine and a half. So, you know, typical sob story. Of course, I get the wrong number, but that's what I was trying for, but it just it didn't work out. So it did not work out. Uh, the road trip for the Golden Knights did not work out. You are a horrific hockey prognosticator. No, I didn't predict that right. they were going to win. Last <laughs> week, after the first loss on the road trip, Candy, uh, Justin Watkins, was like, they have to get seven points no, no, no. on the road trip. That, Incorrect. That's, what,
3: that's the target. Incorrect. I said, it'd be, it'd be good to get seven. They have to get five. Okay. And they got zero. <laughs> it's over. There's no what way. There's no way they're making the playoffs. No way. What? No way.
0: How? You were pretty confident last week.
3: Well, Go 0-5. Oh, boy. I mean, they're one game up, or one point up on Dallas, and Dallas has four games in hand. They're one point back of Edmonton, or two points back of Edmonton, and Edmonton's got two games in hand. And then they got no chance up the scale. They're not, they're not catching the Kings, and they're not catching the Flames. So <laughs> I don't see unless both of those teams have a week like we just had. <laughs> do is there any chance? And and. Why would there be any indication that we're all of a sudden going to start winning games? We just had the easiest stretch of the schedule the entire season and went 0-5. And I'm I'm not saying that, you know, obviously injuries are important, and I'm not saying that they're not playing hard and all that stuff. I'm just saying the team is currently constructed with that roster is not good enough to win against even mediocre teams.
2: Candy, what do the numbers say? What's the What do the analytics say about chances to make playoffs? Moneypuck.com predicts these things all year long Steve and as of the beginning of the road trip the Golden Knights had a better than 80% chance according to the numbers to make the playoffs at the end of the road trip down to 54% for the Knights basically a coin flip for VGK to get in uh, notwithstanding any returns from injuries moves they might or might not make at the trade deadline but it is an ugly scene to lose that much playoff possibility in one week.
3: And that fifty four percent, if I'm correct, was before last night's loss of seven to three. So it should, I, I imagine, it's just a little bit down from there.
2: Well, and I'll tell you what. Uh, to your point there, Justin, about seven to three with that football score, <laughs> to me, it's it's far less about the fact that the Golden Knights lost all these games than about how they're losing them right now. Uh, losing that was a that was a non competitive game against Winnipeg last night. And look, Winnipeg is a fine team,
3: but Winnipeg is not Colorado, and that's what's really concerning to me about this team coming home. Well, I mean, on on these in the last six games, they've played three of the worst teams in the league. The only ones they haven't played that were worse is, was Montreal. Other than that, the other three are three of the worst teams out there. They beat one 2-1, to one, they lost to the other two, and then they continued to lose throughout the rest of the, the, the road trip. I, I don't see it. I hope I'm wrong. But if I'm not, I'm going to save a lot of money in playoff tickets. (laughs) Well, and let me get to
2: that point. Yeah, Kofi, let me get to that point with the money real quick. Golden Knights have, according to a recent survey, one of the highest ticket prices in the league. $145 per ticket, top three in the league. They have the second most expensive beer in the league at $14 a game. The second most expensive hot dog at $7.50 a game. I mean... As a season ticket holder, I would expect these are the sorts of things where when the team is at least competitive and winning, you probably don't think nearly as much about, right?
3: Uh, Well, from my perspective, the owner's spending the money, right? He's charging us the money, but he's spending the money. He's the most aggressive owner in the league. He's willing to go as far over the cap as possible. He's willing to do some cap gymnastics. He's willing to do anything to win. Like, that's the kind of owner I want to support. And so, you know, yeah – did it work out the way they wanted it to work out? No. Are injuries a contributing factor? For sure. Um, you know, maybe Jack Eichel's career is just snake bitten and the gut. poor guy's never going to play in the playoffs. I don't know. Um, but in any case, you know, he's done what he can with that money. And so, you know, I, I, I'm okay with it. There's the demand and he's spending it.
1: 5709000 is the number here at uh, Battleborne Injury Lawyers. We're live at the Battleborne Broadcast Center. Justin Watkins, our ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider, is in. Deshaun Watson passes the test with the grand jury. By the way, not innocent, as Adam Schefter tweeted out last week, which is a massive gaffe. So he's still facing civil issues here, yet in the NFL, we've seen about seven or eight teams look in on Deshaun Watson. Seems like four are really hot and heavy for Deshaun Watson. What do they have to worry about? And more importantly, what does he have to worry about from here from a legal standpoint?
3: I mean, if if I'm a team... If I'm the NFL, if I'm running the show, he's got nothing to worry about because I would not get involved in any of this stuff, right? The the criminal process is the most important. The criminal process has made a determination that he shouldn't be charged with anything criminally. They presented the evidence to a grand jury. The grand jury agreed. And so if I'm the NFL, the rest is all civil. It's it's a civil claim. It's out there. It does not rise to the level of battery according to criminal definitions. Um, and so, you know what? He's going to have to deal with that, those civil lawsuits as they come, and and that should have nothing to do with him playing football, from my perspective. Got a feeling? You know the NFL's doing something, right? Sure.
1: And they should be keeping their beak out of this. I think they Cause should. Because it sets up ridiculous precedents. Yep. Because they're never consistent with their penalties. We're, we're how, how bad is it going to look if you've got 22 allegations – Deshaun Watson, you're out four games.
3: That's exactly Cal- the number I was going to pick. He's Calvin be out- Ridley,
1: you're out for a year. Okay. And I understand the gambling thing is really serious.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, the, I mean, the Calvin Ridley thing puts at issue, the golden goose, which is that NFL is the best sport to, game, to, to gamble on, and, and they rely on action to increase the popularity of their sport. They don't rely on Deshaun Watson or people being of good, high moral character. But I, I the first thing I thought is – They're going to do an investigation. There's going to be, like, a four-game suspension, and then he's going to be able to play.
1: Amazing. Uh, Last one. Ari and I have been dying to talk about the Tinder Swindler documentary. It's advanced since the show came out. If people don't know what it is, uh, this guy was basically using Tinder to dupe women into being his girlfriend of sorts and just rip them off for money and then is on the run, and he really hasn't served much of a penalty. Well, one of the things he did was he took the name of a uh, famous Israeli uh, jeweler, right? Uh, Levive, I think it was, Levive, whatever it was. Um, so now that family has come in and they're like, wait a second. Can When someone steals your name, that can be defamatory?
3: Sure, yeah, it's actionable. I mean, it's a misappropriation of your name, right? Specifically your name. But if, if they're also trying to present the sort of likeness in the family, I don't think he went to that far, but it, you know, let's say there's. Uh, I'm thinking of like House of Gucci, right? Like, if there's a Gucci look, if there's a Gucci sort of brand associated with the the family name, if you're misappropriating that name and that likeness and that imagery, that's absolutely actionable in in civil court. Um, I mean, obviously, everybody who was duped got civil claims too. They've got fraud claims. They've got theft claims, but the family for having him misappropriate their name absolutely does have a claim as well. Now the dude's an international traveler. He's all over the place and, you know, nailing him down into a court in which is going to show up in civil court is going to be difficult, but I think the family's got the money to to sort of pursue that. Have you watched it? No. Solid, not spectacular,
1: but infuriating the way it ends. Again, I won't, I want, I don't want to completely ruin it, but it, it kind of starts out in an interesting fashion because you're, I, I, you're, you're given a decision to make. Are these women just idiots? Like they went after something they shouldn't have gone after and they weren't careful and they got completely hosed. Yeah. So, Which, by the way, is also related to it's a Netflix show um, that is actually based on a real person called Inventing Anna, uh-huh. another ripoff artist. So. I don't know that you'll watch this. But for I'm
3: not the audience, a big documentary person, to be yeah. honest with you, so I, I probably won't. But I, but I keep up on the news of what's popular in the documentary world, <laughs> if that makes any sense.
2: Candy, are you uh, Ozark guy?
3: You know the answer.
2: You already know the answer, Cofield. I just thought I'd check. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. I figured no. Okay, I <laughs> guess. Anyway, I don't you talk about
1: anymore. For people who watch Ozark, Ruth is a character... Ruth is the Anna character, like completely different than Ruth. So
3: I don't watch Ozark either. I, I gave that uh, one, a, I gave that one a go, and it just didn't, it just didn't ring to me. I get, I watched the first two episodes, and I was out. Five seven zero nine thousand is the number of Born injury lawyers. What
1: do you got coming up? You you were just talking about uh,
3: international travel, travel, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's some arguments to be had it, because of I, the, the
1: horrific upheaval.
3: Yeah, I heard that. You know, they were sort of begging for travelers and and tourists over in Europe uh, because a lot of people had canceled their trips due to the war. And so, my kids' spring break's coming up. I've never even been to Europe, other than uh, one time for work in Germany. Uh, so we we booked a little European trip for the spring break. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're gonna there go. you go. We're gonna go. Good Just, prices. Justin Watkins, will hook him up with uh, America's richest producer.
1: Uh, Magnum at the station. Magnum just got back from Europe. I'm sure he's going in another two weeks. Uh, Money Mags, as we've got the hashtag up on Twitter. 5709,000 is the number. If you need legal advice, you got your real big problems, make sure you call Matt Hoffman, Justin Watkins here at Battleborne,
0: 5709,000. Call Battleborne Injury Lawyers, 702 5709,000 with your questions today. Coldfield and company. and Company.
2: He'll finish the game with 29 points, nine rebounds, and Indiana wins its first NCAA tournament game since 2016 and will advance.
1: What a freaking disaster! That was courtesy of CBS. Wyoming plays uh, incredibly sloppy last night, I, it just. It, Hunter Maldonado could not hold on to the ball, just terrible. And the Mountain West is out with one of its four teams in the tournament. And if it sounds like I'm being negative, or I don't know, Candy, if I should be, you know, grateful that four teams made the Mountain West Conference, uh, made the tournament from the uh, Mountain West Conference, like that's not, it's not what this is, man. You got to go and you got to freaking win if you're going to beat the drum for the conference, especially in a you know even up game and it's a what was it a four and a half point spread. They could have beat that Indiana team. Uh, Let's get to the story with Colorado State, as Brian Roth is the uh, play-by-play voice. He's on the road with CSU. Brian, how you doing, buddy?
4: Good. What's going on, fellas?
1: Am I too harsh on Wyoming
4: last night? No, they were awful. I mean, (laughs) they were awful. Hunter Maldonado was awful. And, you know, I I honestly think, and and not to make excuses for Wyoming, I I honestly think they wore down. I mean, they essentially were playing a seven-man rotation from – about mid January on, and I think they were down. I mean, did they turned it over twenty times last night?
1: Yep. And that's what I thought going in. I said positive. Maybe EK can get um, you know Davis off the floor by getting some early fouls against Indiana and get them a little smaller. But that didn't happen. They let those guys bang in the post, and they had a good showdown. But my other worry was I when I saw Wyoming up close here, you know, the first matchup against UNLV, I thought they looked tired. I thought they looked tired even in the second one. They won. All right. Speaking of that though. What is the condition of CSU right now? you got to tell people about how ridiculous the travel was and the lack of information for Colorado State to get on the road for the NCAAs.
4: Yeah, I mean, so you get your, you know, this election Sundays on, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon, and, you know, everyone just said, all right, going to Indianapolis, and they announced the game time. Okay, you're playing the first game on Thursday morning at 10.15 Mountain Time, 9.15 Pacific Time, <laughs> coming up Thursday morning. Okay, that's fine. Not a big deal either, but you're going to the East time zone, right? And we're going, not going to the East Coast for the Eastern time zone. And so we're waiting around Monday and waiting, waiting to see when when, when our charter's going to be taken off. And you know, finally getting an email from some of the administration about 5 o'clock saying, hey, if folks, we're still waiting. Everybody be nimble. We're just we're waiting around. It's like, okay, it's 5 in the afternoon on Monday. Well, it gets to be past 10, 10 15, 10, 30, finally at 1045 at night, mountain time on, on Monday night. We finally start getting some text messages going. It's like, oh yeah, the team charge is going to be here at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. And those, and whoa, what? And so yeah, I mean, you know, here's Nico Medved trying to plan out whether, you know, are they going to practice in Fort Collins on Tuesday morning, and then take the charge to Indianapolis. Uh, You know, how, how, how do you plan for Tuesday? And basically sitting down all Monday until Monday night, just not knowing what your Tuesday is going to look like. And then finally you get the word late, and then. Yeah, the Rams finally got out on uh, Tuesday morning, got here to Indianapolis to the hotel about 2.30 Eastern time and uh, practiced here. But, yeah, I mean, it's not the way you want to start out. You know, coaches aren't too thrilled with that. But at the end of the day, it's going to make a difference with what happens on Thursday morning now. It, it really isn't. No, I mean, it,
2: and. It's annoying though, Brian. I mean, it's annoying. Wait, and Steve no and I have both been Steve and I have both been part of university broadcasts before, where you travel with the team, and I don't know that people necessarily understand just how down to the minute the itineraries are once you get on the road. Uh, you know, at least for the players, and so you know, it, it is question. a it is a nuisance. That being said. Uh, this is, in a lot of ways, a veteran CSU team with the uh, with the presence of David Roddy and Isaiah Stevens, of course, out front. Uh, it would seem to me that if any team were going to be able to roll with those punches, you at least have some veteran leadership to help your way through
4: it. Yeah, without no, no question. And I mean, look, I mean, you look at what's done on the last two years, right? It, with, uh, you know, COVID and, you know, games getting canceled here and there. And The Rams played a stretch of uh, five games in in five cities in the span of two weeks in the middle of February, and and we were in Vegas for one of those. And, you know, it it almost felt like an NBA schedule all of a sudden. And, you know, the Mountain West had to make up some COVID games that, that had gotten canceled, and all of a sudden CSU were just road trip, road trip, road trip, road trip. And, you know, that's just kind of what you have to do. You have to deal with it. And I think CSU has been, you know, very adaptable to that. And you're right the experience that the Rams have make them a little bit more adaptable to that. And these are guys that uh, have played in a lot of games. They've gone through two COVID seasons. So, uh, you know, I, I, think, you know, Nico was annoyed by it, but at the end of the day, I think he feels really good with the group that he has that, Hey, minor hiccup, but we're going to be just fine.
2: Brian Roth does play by play for Colorado State University joins us here on Cofield and Company with Steve and Adam talking about CSU as a six seed taking on a team that Brian I don't know if a lot of people expected to be an 11 at the beginning of the year in Michigan and then we kind of swung all the way to the other end of the spectrum of how did this team get into the tournament without having to be in the play in so uh, what do you see when you look at this Michigan team which obviously had much higher expectations at the beginning
4: of the year. Oh, no question. I mean, this is the Michigan team now that has been to four straight Week 16s. It's a Michigan team that went to the Elite Eight last year. Obviously, a Michigan team that, uh, or program, I should say, not the team, but the program that played in the National Championship game in 2018. Mm-hmm. And so you look at what their expectations were coming into this season off that Elite Eight year last year. They were ranked sixth in the country in the preseason poll. But by the time they got to December... They were out of the top 25 and never made it back. And, you know, obviously the big is good, and we, we all know that. And and Michigan really struggled. They they only had one three-game win streak this year. Uh, they had, I think, four two-game win streaks. I mean, they could never really put it together. They're highly, highly inconsistent. But you look at what they have. They had two starters off last year's Elite 18, and then they brought in two uh, five-star recruits, two guys that – Uh, We're top 10 national recruiting kids that have really started to kind of grow up as the season is kind of long. So I think, you know, when, when people look at this game, they see Michigan, it's obviously a name brand, but it's a Michigan team that could probably beat any team in the NCAA tournament, but it's a Michigan team that could probably lose to just about any team, maybe not some of the 16 or 15 seeds, but by a Michigan team that can lose to most teams in the NCAA tournament. So, it's a really interesting matchup for Colorado State. and You know, the national perception is, I mean, we've been out here in India and, and talking about it a lot, and the national perception is that Michigan got a good draw, and there's not a lot of folks. I've done a couple of Michigan radio shows now uh, here in the last two days, and, and they're asking about the Mountain West Conference, and they're wondering what the Mountain West Conference is all about. And it's just when, you know, you get east of the Mississippi, as you guys know, A lot of times anything west of the Mississippi is irrelevant, (laughs) for better or worse.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, We've covered that many times. Uh, I'm a transplanted uh, Northeasterner, as Candy is, but we've been here 25, 30 years. So uh, we see the uh, buffoonery that comes from the East in terms of their knowledge of uh, West Coast and, you know, Mountain Time Zone teams and sports. So let's talk matchups. First, defensively for... CSU you tell me I, I don't know if this is a great matchup I, I get the feeling that Nico Medved likes to play small and actually use Roddy as the five but Moores and especially Thomas are going to have to play because Hunter Dickinson is gigantic
4: yeah Hunter Dickinson uh seven feet one he was the leading scorer last year on that elite 18 leading scorer this year at 18 points eight rebounds here this season and you know a guy that's probably going to be playing in the NBA next year and so, you know, you look at, okay, how does Colorado State do against good, big, offensive big men? And, you know, they're really the most skilled offensive big man in the Mountain West Conference, I think, is Orlando Robinson from Fresno, Strait, Fresno State. And, you know, Robinson beat up the Rams pretty good in the one meeting that they played in. I think he had, what, uh, 28 or 30 in that game. But CSU basically didn't let anybody else score in that game. Rams won it over Fresno State 65 to 50. Now, Obviously, Michigan's going to have more ancillary weapons than Fresno State had, but you know, kind of CSU said, "Okay, find the the big man can beat us, but we're just not going to let anybody else beat us." And maybe they go that route tomorrow. Uh, either that, or yes, you're going to have to play some of the some of the big men. You're going to have to make sure that uh, you know Dickinson's not able to uh, you know do what he wants inside the paint, and maybe start running double teams out. And It'll be interesting to see what Nico Medved. Wants to do, but obviously he is at the very forefront. Dickinson is a big time player, and Colorado State, some way somehow, has to find a way to slow him down.
1: Well, and Colorado State, let's not act like Colorado State doesn't have uh, you know some matchup advantages here. Roddy is a really tough guy to match up against, and whether it's Diabate or Houston, you know those are young guys, skinnier guys, are taller, but they're not as strong as David Roddy. And I, you know, what, I'm going to give you a critique that that I had of that San Diego State game for CSU. I, I thought the, the urgency for three quarters of the game from both Roddy and Stevens needed to be higher and like th- this is it um, I, I, I think both guys can attack a lot more often and especially Isaiah Stevens I think sometimes he's a little too unselfish and in this game I think he's got to go and he's got to go from the you know the first minute of the game he's a great three-point shooter he's impossible to you know have a you know, keep guys in front of him he, th- those two guys to me have got to take it up a notch to beat Michigan
4: yeah, you know, it's funny you said say that because that, I said it on the broadcast Friday night in Vegas about Isaiah Stevens because it was clear that there were two guys that came to play against San Diego State, and it was Stevens and Roddy, but they, you know, weren't necessarily taking over the game, right? They weren't necessarily, you know, coming down the court and demanding the basketball. And, that, and that's not exactly the way the CSU plays, okay? Right? They played that team-together type type team, but, uh, you know, Isaiah Stevens has got to be more aggressive. And those two guys at 44-58 to against San Diego State without necessarily being aggressive until the end. And then you started really seeing Isaiah Stevens kind of get going and Rams were down nine and hit a couple threes. All of a sudden, it's a two-point game. There's no question. You've got to have Roddy and Stevens play well, be aggressive, take shots in the game. But where CSU has been hurt this year in games is when other guys haven't stepped up, and CSU got zero help from anybody else in that San Diego State game. Chandler Jacobs, uh, the the guard off the bench, had nine. The game he was okay, but you have two other starters, and Kendall Moore and John Tanja, who combined for one of ten for two points, and that can't happen. I mean, those are two starters that combined average seventeen points a game, and they they go for two points. So. I agree. I, I think Rodney and Stevens have to be the aggressors in the game coming up tomorrow. They are by far the two best players on this Colorado State roster, but you do have to get some secondary help, and CSU needs to have a Jacobs and Moore or a Moore and Tanja or a Tanjay and Jacobs step up and, and at least fill in and chip in with nine, ten points, because Michigan's not a great defensive team. CSU isn't a great defensive team. But both are very efficient offensive teams, and it's going to take 70, 75, maybe even 80 points to win that game coming up tomorrow. So it's got to be Stevens, it's got to be Roddy. But you've got to have that secondary scoring punch coming from some of the other players.
1: Brian, last one. is: Could this be the end of the road for both Roddy and Stevens with the program?
4: You know, I, I don't get that feeling. I mean, certainly it could. Uh, you know, I mean, we could. We could talk next year and – they both could be gone. Uh, I don't. Th- I don't think they will be. I, I think you know. I don't think Stevens is an NBA guy. I think he's too small, and I hope he's going to be an NBA guy. Uh, I, I think Stevens will be back for sure next year. I think David Roddy's going to be back coming up next year. And uh, you know, I, if they both come back, CSU going to have three scholarships open. I think Nico MedBed, who just signed an extension with CSU, will be aggressive in the transfer market. Okay, maybe sign one high school kid, but. I think they understand the time is now. So if Roddy and Stevens come back and you have three scholarships open, I wouldn't be surprised to see all three of those scholarships go to transfer players and try to fill some holes, try to up the athleticism at Colorado State, try to add to the length. I mean, that's where UNLV got CSU. That's where San Diego State hurt CSU with that athleticism and length. You know, if you're able to add some of that to this team and run it back next year with a little more length, a little more – athleticism. I mean, CSU really does have a chance to have a team that could make a Sweet 16 type of run, but I, I hope they're back, but you know, certainly it's a possibility that neither one of those two guys could one back.
1: I'm glad you mentioned, we'll close on this one, Brian Roth is with us, play-by-play guy for Colorado State. I'm glad you mentioned a Sweet 16 run. You know what happens when coaches and mid-majors make the Sweet 16. Uh, other ADs get real hot and heavy for them, and I think Nico Medved is ready for that next jump up. It's it's kind of weird. Uh, if they if they make a run, there may be more job offers potentially out there for Nico Medved.
4: Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, again, he just signed a, an extension uh, in Vegas, uh, actually on Saturday afternoon, uh, to pay him, I think, $1.2 million a year and a half. $1.2 in the Mountain West is, is really nice. It's really good. It's one of the top-paid guys in the Mountain West. But, you know, obviously <laughs> some of the bigger schools out there, they They'll, they'll pay him 2.2, 2.3. But uh, I, I don't think Nico would be back to this year after signing the extension. And the reason why I say that, it, it, Kansas State, I know, is interested. Missouri is interested. Um, and he signed that extension even with those two teams reaching out to him. Mm, and okay. so uh, I I I think he's around at least for another season. now. Yeah. I don't know if the Rams have the horses to make a run to the Sweet 16 here. If they beat Michigan tomorrow, it'd probably be Tennessee coming up on Saturday. And I mean, I watched a lot of the SEC tournament in my hotel room at the Weston and Jake this weekend, and, and Tennessee's really good. But, you know, I, I, I think there's a chance the Rams can make a run next year uh, if they bring it all back. Uh, and then, yeah, then, then I, I think you could see that. But, you know, Nico Medved loves Fort Collins. His wife went to college in Fort Collins. They're raising their family there, and he's not going to just pick up and move his family to Manhattan, Kansas, just just for an extra seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Now, I mean, that sounds great to all of us, but, right? You know, he's, he he <laughs> understands the situation and like understands that it doesn't have to be now, right? He doesn't have to go take a job now. He can run this thing back next year and see maybe what else is open coming up next year, and so. Uh, I, I think he's going to be prudent about it. Again, I, I think he's here next year at least. And then if the Rams do make a run coming up next year, then, yeah, uh, uh, obviously he's he's got to take a look. I mean, if somebody's going to be, you know, throwing $3 million a year at him, I mean, right. what are you going to do? You're going to say, yes.
1: yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm always looking for Mountain West Conference upheaval. So my dream scenario was Medved leaves and then CSU pulls – a football-like move, and goes and steals Leon Rice from Boise for like $2.5 million a year, and Boise's like, we can't do it, and Boise loses their coach. <laughs> Uh-oh.
4: Well oh I would say this. I would say this. If Nico Medved leaves, and this is no inside information,
3: this Yeah. yeah.
4: A, a simple guess for me, but if Nico Medved were leave, leave, I mean, leave, um, let's say, next year, uh, we have an assistant coach named Ali farol who, of course, is a... The March Madness legend at, at at you know Northern Iowa, down Kansas, he's been moving up the ranks. And he's a guy who has had Division One coaching offers. I, I would not be shocked if if Nico does take off. The Rams would just promote within.
1: Yeah, we know for uh, for Farou- uh, very well. He threed the hell out of UNLV before that Kansas game. And uh, candy, his <laughs> mother was the volleyball coach for a long time here, right?
4: Yeah, that's correct. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. So yep. There you go.
1: All right. Enjoy the trip. Glad you got there. Good luck to Colorado State, and hopefully they uh, get a good run here in the tournament.
4: Well, I mean, listen, I mean, whether it's Colorado State, and obviously I hope the CSU makes a, a little bit of a run here, but somebody in the Mountain West, please yes. make a run. Whether it's us, whether it's Boise, whether it's San Diego State, the Mountain West has got to give somebody the Sweet 16 here. I mean, let's go. It's got to happen. Otherwise, we'll continue not to be respected. And, and, for good reason if you can't do it in march of the ncaa tournament then you know that's that's the most important time of year
0: cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on espn las vegas